Well, if and hopefully when San Diego State and SMU become members of the Pac-12, it could be tough for them early on to provide one of the most important qualities that a new school can provide on the football field. You are Locked On Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked on Pac-12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with our media rights free and beloved Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. Tons to get to today on this wonderful, wonderful Friday. Thank you all so much for tuning in. So, San Diego State and SMU have long been my preferred options, as everydayers out there know, to join the Pac-12. And an interesting question came in that kind of got me thinking about what makes teams valuable from a football standpoint. And one thing that my mind kind of jumped to because of the question that was asked that I'll read in just a moment is the big games that teams play create value for the conference writ large because you're trying to get as many eyeballs as possible onto your conference if you're George Klyovkov, if you're university presidents and chancellors and athletic directors, right? Your team might not be playing in it, but you can still have some carryover positive externalities from a big game being played elsewhere in the conference. It raises the stakes for, for your game against either of those teams. It might raise the interest level amongst your fan base against a certain team. This has played out over the course of conferences over the last, you know, several decades or so. And there are, you know, a lot of really, really obvious examples in today's college football world. The SEC benefits because every time the Iron Bowl is on, I want to watch. The SEC benefits because when Florida plays Georgia, yeah, I want to watch. The Big Ten benefits because when Michigan plays Ohio State or when Michigan plays Penn State or when Ohio State plays Michigan, yes, I want to watch. And this is what San Diego State and SMU, or any G5 school, frankly, that would join, would struggle to achieve early on. Now, it doesn't mean that it can't ever happen, right? I've talked about a number of times how these are long-term kind of gambles of sorts that you're making by adding a G5 school. They can become a product that one day people want to watch outside of just their own fan base or just Pac-12 markets that attract you know, more of a national audience there. But it does take some time for that to happen. But just think about it as a Pac-12 fan. When you know we're waiting for the primetime games later in the day or the Pac-12 after dark games to get going, what are we doing the rest of the day? We're watching college football. How do you decide which college football games you want to watch? Who's got the most interest? Who's got the most intrigue? Who's got brands that you're familiar with? That Oh, you know, Oklahoma State is playing Kansas State. They're both in the top 20. Yeah, I want to watch that game. I want to see what happens because my team might be, you know, ranked 18th and they're, you know, 17 and 13. And if one of them loses, my team could jump those teams in, in the polls for the following week and such. So creating interest, creating intrigue is definitely one of the biggest hurdles that, that either school, San Diego State or SMU, would face in the early going, right? But it doesn't mean that San Diego State against Utah is as appealing to people outside of the Pac-12 footprint at, in, in 2024 as it would be in, say, 2028, right? 
because maybe at that point, San Diego State has put together some really good seasons. Maybe they've pulled a couple big upsets. Maybe they've had a big bowl win here and there. Maybe, you know, and SM, this, this all applies to SMU, by the way. I just use them as an example because SM or because San Diego State has played Utah. Uh, each of the last couple of seasons and, and they won one in triple overtime two years ago and then they uh, got got hit pretty hard in Salt Lake City as most people do at, at Rice Eccles a season ago so I look at the way that college football plays out and the way that you attract viewership and the way you get eyeballs and it's not going to be easy and, and I'm not bringing this up to say that you know, I, I, I suddenly don't want to add San Diego State and SMU because, you know, Big Ten fans might not want to watch in year one SMU or San Diego State play conference schedule. I want to see all that stuff happen. They might not want to right away, but over time, that might change, right? Did you watch a lot of uh, TCU regular season football games when they were in the Mountain West? I didn't. Did you watch a lot of TCU regular season football games this past year? Yeah, I sure did, and I bet a lot of you did as well. And yeah, it can take that long, but these are the, this is the best option, in my view, that the Pac-12 has at, at this point in time, which is why I talk about it in a positive light. But I bring this up not to say that, oh, you know, there's some negative drawback. It's a, I think it's more of a hurdle than a drawback is a better way of, of looking at it to, to adding these teams because the positives absolutely outweigh the negatives in this scenario when you're talking about realignment and the conference uh, succeeding going forward and whatnot, giving it the best chance to be the strongest that it can possibly be, et cetera, et cetera. So I do just bring this up because I try to be fair. I try to be honest. And I think that this is a very real hurdle that both these teams are going to have to get over. This all stems from a question that was sent in, by the way, by one of you, which any of you can do at any point in time. we got a lot of time between now and the start of the season. And then when the season starts, there'll be more questions you might want to answer. I'm always happy to answer them. YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at LO underscore Pac-12. DMs and mentions are wide open. This from Football's Beer 3232. Whatever does it for you, man. Spencer, total speculation, but assuming the Pac eventually does add San Diego State and SMU. Fingers crossed. Who would you see becoming their rivals? I know it takes time and many games for an authentic rivalry to take hold, but this is a question I've been thinking about a lot in order to avoid slipping into insanity as I wait for the teams to actually be added. Yeah, you and me both, my guy. LOL, JK. Uh, I'm not JK. But seriously, I could see Utah and San Diego State getting spicy because of the 2021 game, which was triple overtime, and the fact that Utah seems to enjoy hammering teams from SoCal. Shots fired. USC has entered the chat, and Utah has now asked them to leave, kindly. Um, not actually, but anyway. You get what I'm saying. I can't get a feel for who SMU would have beef with, though. Any thoughts? Thanks. Go Beefs. we got an Oregon State question asker out there. I love seeing that because I love hearing from fans of all the schools of our beloved conference here. So this is kind of how I got into my uh, my opening rant on today's show because the most attractive games, when I listed those games that you know I watch in other conferences, the Red River Showdown, another one that I watch every year, they're all rivalries. Games that attract an audience from outside of your own fan base, the opposing team's fan base, geographical and conference footprint are usually founded in rivalries. Not always, right? I talked about TCU. You know, they were 8-0. Suddenly they were must-see television. Everybody wanted to watch them, right? And that's something that can be applicable to San Diego State or SMU in the future. If they made a run through the Pac-12 and they started 7-0, 
yeah, it might feel more like the Kansas Jayhawks than it did TCU a season ago, but guess what? Game day went to Lawrence, Kansas last year because Kansas was 5-0, and and they hadn't been anything, and all of a sudden they were something. And any conference would take a team having a season like that, uh, at least a start like that. And unfortunately, when Jalen Daniels got hurt, went off the rails a bit for Kansas. But they've got Lance Lye pulled back. They've got Daniels and all that sort of stuff. And again, that makes me interested as a college football fan in general. And that is a good thing for your conference. Now, with regards to this specific question and whether or not you can generate a rivalry like the ones I mentioned, you know, you can't get on that sort of level, right? You know, the Red River Showdown or Bedlam or Michigan, Ohio State, the Iron Bowl, Georgia, Florida, hard to get on that sort of level. But that idea, that concept of creating more interest and intrigue is something that, that any conference would want to have. And I think adds value to their television deal as well, just because it gets you higher ratings, right? If you look at games without USC and UCLA the last couple of years, the most viewed games since 2021, three of them are Oregon rivalry games. They're two against Washington and one against Oregon State. And two of them are the Stanford Cal games. They're not the best teams. They weren't but they're big-time rivals, and that will create interest and intrigue and eyeballs. And Stanford and Cal, of course, have the history with, uh, with the play going there. But in terms of who their rivals can be, that, that's, a, that's a pretty tough thing to predict, and, and, and I'll tell you why. But here, here's something that's not tough. Putting on bird dog shorts for this summer because bird dog shorts make you look good. They make you feel good. They've got stretch khaki shorts, which are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird Dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. They're the perfect, versatile summer shorts to wear literally every day. I mean, you know, clean them, obviously. Don't be that sort of guy. But you can wear them in the water. You can wear them on a hike. You can wear them on a walk. You can wear them on a date. You can wear them on the golf course. You can wear them to a barbecue, hanging around, watching a baseball game. Whatever you're doing this summer, Bird Dog shorts can get you there with their cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki but stretches so you get a slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on college for a free yeti style tumbler with your order that's birddogs.com slash locked on college for a free yeti style tumbler you won't want to take your bird dogs off this summer we promise you so go get your next order today what was that what was that oh everydayers know that's what we call the second segment sip which means we are refreshed refurbished we're keeping dry mouth out of the picture and we're ready to go so it's a basically impossible question to answer when you're looking at, you know, who could be a rival for San Diego State and SMU? Who could emerge on, on that front? Because when Utah joined, right, I think Utah is the best comparison here because you got a school coming from the G5, but Colorado is applicable as well. Does it feel like Colorado or Utah have like a big time rival? They have teams that they've had great games against. But do they have a big-time rival? And this is another bummer about USC and UCLA leaving the conference is Utah was starting to have a rival emerge in the form of USC. Because USC was undefeated, and then Utah beat them in Salt Lake City on a two-point conversion and a fourth and goal, and you know it was a crazy, crazy game, and USC fans were mad about the refs and all this sort of stuff, right? 
So that laid the groundwork. And then Caleb Williams wrote something on his nails that I shall not repeat here because we are keeping this a G-rated show, but you can look it up. It wasn't particularly kind. It was edgy. It was something that added, by the way, interest and intrigue to the game, to the matchup. And so when you have something like that take place that is unpredictable at some level because that comes down to an individual player but now I think it's kind of heated things up between the two fan bases writ large you now look at the Utah USC game this year in the Coliseum and you circle it and say oh Caleb Williams is there Caleb Williams went 0 and 2 against Utah last year Caleb Williams gonna want his revenge I gotta watch that one so that's how rivalries truly emerge when you have teams coming from different geographical areas because geography is how rivalries are fundamentally found. That's how they are fundamentally created. Alabama and Auburn are in the same state. Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Washington, the border war, Arizona and Arizona State. That's where it fundamentally comes from. So when you're talking about a rival that could form for San Diego State and SMU, it is as likely to be one team in the conference as any other because I think it is completely and utterly random, right? And Utah, and, and, and frankly, I don't even know if that would take place. I think a better way to look at, you know, this whole kind of conversation about them playing meaningful games is what sort of success could they have if they were to join the conference one day? And how big of a stage could they put themselves in? What sort of position could they align themselves in on the football field to attract an audience beyond their own geographical and regional footprint? So I think that's the better way to examine it because Utah has been in the Pac-12 for a dozen years now. I mean, Utah fans, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you have a rival in the Pac-12? Because I look around and the only game that Utah plays that feels like an actual rivalry doesn't mean that games can't get uh, contested, can't get, uh, can't be competitive, can't have a big stage or all that sort of stuff. But Oregon and Utah have played a lot of big games over the years. I wouldn't consider Utah a rival for Oregon. It's a tough game. It's a big game. It's a fun one to watch. But BYU is a rival for Utah because those fan bases at some level actively dislike each other. Oregon and Washington don't like one another. Winning that game means more. That's what a rivalry comes down to. When you win that game, you have bragging rights for a year and you are holding it over those fans' heads every chance that you get. You go back and forth, you spat with them. There's a little extra, you know, animosity or tension or tenacity on the field for those games you can't fake that and you know the Pac-12 understandably kind of tried to have Colorado and Utah be you know like the mountain school rivalry it never materialized right you you can't fake a rivalry Utah and BYU that's a rivalry Utah and USC that might have been growing into one because it had a little bit extra juice with the whole Caleb Williams and the way the games played out a season ago but in terms of you know who's who's it likely to be their their rivals there I, I just don't see it you know, inherently being more likely to be this school versus that school, because you have to have such a long sequence of events. You know, you, you need to have a really tight contested game. Things would have to get chippy. Fans would have to start, you know, jabbing at one another and things would have to take off online. But you, you know a rivalry game when you feel it, right? Like Oregon and Stanford for a long time played a lot of big time games back when Stanford was good and Oregon was good with Chip Kelly. 
That's not a rivalry. They've played a lot of games over the years that have been on a big stage in which there have been, you know, ramifications beyond just beating the other team. But a rivalry is I want to beat that team just to beat that team. And I don't care, right, as a fan, what the ramifications are. Cal wants to beat Stanford really, really badly, regardless of how good those teams are. And Stanford wants to beat Cal, right? It goes both ways. So I don't think you can fake that sort of stuff. Okay, I think it's enough on, uh, on, on that. Let's go to another question here that came from Kurt. This, again, was via the Twitter uh, mentions, at LO underscore Pac-12 or at Smalls underscore 55. DMs and mentions wide open. You can always hop in the YouTube comments as well. Kurt, good show today, Spencer. Thank you. It would be, I don't remember what day that was from, but hey, thank you. Uh, it would be good to get your thoughts on Colorado State and Tulane as well. Personally, I'd love to see Colorado versus Colorado State rivalry in the Pac-12. More rivalry talk here. So Colorado State is an R1 institution. They are not an AAU institution. Tulane is an AAU institution. And these are not solely determining factors, right? Not every school in the Pac-12 is an AAU or R1 member, but... There are, you know, considerations for expansion teams, and those are things that presidents weigh, as we talk about often here on the show. Again, it's not the only thing that they look at, right? I talk about how often presidents will think about the academic component to realignment because I know that they are thinking about it. I don't necessarily care, but I know that they care. But also, it's not single-factor analysis, or else, you know, the Pac-12 would be seriously looking at Rice right now. Like, Rice is going to go to the American Conference. They could one day, because of their elite academics, be a candidate. But they're not a serious candidate right now, right? Athletics, academics, location, culture. Like, there are a lot of things that go into whether or not a school is a particular fit in a conference. It is not one thing or the other. It is several factors. And you might have some points over here, some points over there, and you add that up, and the presidents determine, you know, who their best options end up being. But... Colorado State, I, I struggle to get behind them because they, they have a lot more money than you would think. Uh, an Oregon State men's basketball assistant actually just went over there and kind of took a shot at Oregon State while he was going out the door. That, that, that's, that's worthy of discussion another day because it's interesting to say the least. But Colorado State has, has more money than you would think. But when you look at their football success, they're not doing anything in the Mountain West, right? And, and it's the same sort of thing with UNLV. It's like, okay, I I see how this could be an option, but I also struggle to see how this hurdle is something we can get past, right? Something like that feels more like an obstacle than a hurdle. Doesn't mean it's an immovable obstacle because if Colorado State suddenly went on a massive run, yeah, okay, they could. They, 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 they could get to that sort of level, but... I think the issue with with those particular schools, and this applies to Tulane as well, is my understanding is academically and and culturally and and geographically too, they do kind of pass the smell test. I think Tulane a bit more because is Colorado a place where you feel like you need to have multiple schools? Probably not, right? Denver's a good media market, but it's not even it's the fourth best one remaining in the Pac-12, right? It's uh, I think the Bay Area, and then Phoenix, then Seattle, and then Denver. So there is some value there, but is it so valuable? Is it so big? Is the recruiting base in that state so large that 
you would want to, you know, have multiple schools in there competing for the same sorts of guys and, you know, have a dual presence in a state that isn't super populated. My guess is the answer to that question is no. It doesn't mean they could never be added. You know, in Colorado State, if, you know, the buffs were to look at the Pac-12 media deal, decide, no, this isn't good enough, we're going to go over to the Big 12, then Colorado State might pop up because they might want to still have a presence out there because Denver is a top 20 media market in in the United States. I think they're like 16 according to, to the Nielsen ratings or so. But that is an option, I think, more as a backup as opposed to somewhere where the Pac-12 would make an aggressive move to get into that space. But Tulane is different because they're in New Orleans, which is not as big of a media market as I thought at one point in time. But it is in the South. It is further east. They do have AAU status. We know that uh, the Pac-12 cares about that. The question for Tulane, much like Colorado State, is on the academic side of things, right? And I've looked at these schools in in full, you know, on on past shows. I think Colorado State at one point in time. I know I did Tulane. So if, if you want to hear me uh, make like the full case for for Tulane, shoot me a note on on Twitter again at Smalls underscore fifty five, and I'll I'll get you the link to that episode uh, rather than me, you know, rehashing all all those thoughts right right here and now. But with Tulane. They they have to prove, I think, athletically first. Don't get me wrong. I'm 100% keeping an eye on both these programs, Tulane more than Colorado State, for potential Pac-12 expansion down the line, assuming the league is able to get a media deal, stay together, and continue to you know exist and continue to evolve uh, down the line whatnot in the realignment space. But the thing with Tulane that you have to watch for is was this past football season in which they beat USC, and that's a fun comparison of athletic department budgets, which I'm going to get to in a sec, Tulane's and USC's. Why don't you go Google what those uh, athletic departments bring in? USC's is not as easy to find but uh, because they're a private school, but let's just say it's in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Tulane, on the other hand, not going to be in the same ballpark of uh, revenue coming into their athletic department as USC. And yet they were able to win that particular football game in the Cotton Bowl, probably the biggest win in program history, at least in a very, very long time. But what you have to remember about the green wave down there in in the bayou is that was coming off of a 2-10 and season. Yeah, that that doesn't get mentioned as much because it because it doesn't need to necessarily until you have this conversation, which is, hey, is Tulane ready athletically to make the jump to the power five? Pump the brakes on that. I know they had an awesome season, but for me, if I were, you know, the Pac-12 czar determining who gets into the conference, who doesn't, who's a candidate and who isn't and I was evaluating Tulane's athletics, or just, you know, as a university, I would say, okay, academics, yeah, we're checking the mark. Okay, go into a new geographical area. Okay, yeah, we're checking that box. Travel partner with SMU that would make more sense than a school like Colorado. Okay, yeah, we could check that box as well. But the athletic component, you've got to look at at the whole body of work, not just one season, because there are outlier seasons for better or worse in college sports all the time. And I think for Tulane to be, you know, an even more attractive brand to the Pac-12 to add, you have to do more than just have one great football season because they went two and 10. And now they're in, and, and by the way, they're going to have every opportunity to make themselves 
the most attractive brand remaining football-wise in the American Conference because the American just got gutted by the Big 12, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, three of your biggest brands in, in both the big sports, football, men's basketball. They are now, you know, not in your conference and they've had to backload with UTSA, North Texas, and Rice, and I think there's somebody else I'm missing. It might be like UAB or, or somebody like that. I, I'd have to double check. But anyway, there's been some alignment on that front. But the biggest football brands remaining in that conference now are, are Tulane with the momentum. They just got off the Cotton Bowl win. Memphis, who's also played in a New Year's Six Bowl as a program. And then Mike Norvell got hired to Florida State. And SMU. And SMU hasn't had as much success, but just from a national brand recognition standpoint, they would certainly be in that mix. But as the years are going to go on here for Tulane, they will have the opportunity in the revamped American conference to prove that they belong at the power five level. Cause if they go on a five year run and they win the conference twice and they play in four championship games and they win another new year, six bowl, maybe get into the college football playoff with a 12 team format that makes them a vastly more appealing option down the line, but they have to do that first. And in my view to make me say, yeah, the PAC 12 needs to add them. I'd say with Tulane more than Colorado state, it's keep a watchful eye on them but not necessarily, oh, they just need, you know, they're, they're on the cusp of being ready to, you know, make the power five jump. Not quite, not quite. Could one day, absolutely, but I don't think they're there uh, quite yet athletically. Now, you can make the case that SMU hasn't won a bunch of championships and whatnot, so why would they be more of a candidate than, than Tulane? Very fair, because SMU's football success hasn't been there. However, Recovering from the death penalty is pretty darn brutal, number one. And number two, if you're talking about universities that have the almighty dollar, SMU is near the top of that list. And they have got more than Tulane, and they, I think, would be more ready. They'd be more readily capable of getting their teams and programs up to speed and competitive financially than Tulane would be at this point in time. I do think Tulane is a brand that's trending up. But I think they've got to have a little bit more success because they don't have, you know, the the, the sorts of money, the sort of money flowing into that school the way that uh, that SMU does. But speaking of money, transition to our final topic here today. Athletic department revenues in 2022 came out. Uh, Brett McMurphy of the Action Network uh, tweeted out this list. Number one, and, and by the way, my my sense is this did not include uh, private schools. But there, there were a couple other notable schools because I thought UCLA was a private school. So anyway, it's a USA Today Sports uh, report. Top schools in 2022 athletic revenue in millions of dollars. Ohio State, Texas, Alabama, Michigan, Georgia are the top five. They all cleared $200 million. This is crazy. LSU was at 199 Texas A&M. At, at 193, Florida 190, Penn State 181, and then Oklahoma at 177. That's total amount of revenue, not expenses, right? Not profit, total amount of revenue that came into these athletic departments in fiscal year 2022. Now, what I noticed about this list, he put out the top 25 schools, is there were only two schools from the Pac-12 on that list. Oregon at 19th at 153 million, Washington just sneaking in at 25th at 145 million. This underscores the conversation that 
we've been having for the last several months about, well, would a school, you know, make a jump for a couple million dollars? Would a school make a jump for this, that, and the other thing? So I think, I think there's two takeaways here. Number one, highlights what we kind of already knew to be true, which is financially, most Pac-12 schools outside of Oregon and Washington are just not keeping pace. Doesn't mean they can't be better football teams or programs, because here's some of the schools that are ahead of Washington for 2022. Illinois, Louisville, Wisconsin, Iowa, Arkansas, Kentucky, Virginia, Indiana, Michigan State, Auburn. All of those schools were vastly ahead of Washington by tens of millions of dollars in 2022 athletic department revenue. And guess what? Washington was a way better football team than all of them. Which is the first point, which is that, yes, money is important. But to say or pretend, I mean, heck, Texas is number two. Washington punked them in the Alamo Bowl. Like that game was not as close as I think the final score really indicated. Washington was in control of that game. Texas couldn't move the ball. Penix was slinging it around the field and such. I mean, they beat them. They were the better team, had the better season. And yet in 2022, they trailed Texas in athletic department revenue by almost a hundred million dollars money matters but money is like recruiting it matters it sets what the ceiling can be for your program do not tell me that it is everything or automatically indicates that you're going to be successful which brings me to my second takeaway here what sort of consideration are pac-12 presidents particularly Colorado and Arizona, whose presidents or athletic directors have made the most clear indications that they are waiting to see what the Pac-12 media valuation is before they decide whether or not they would jump to the Big 12. What sort of consideration are they going to give to a couple more million dollars or a few more million dollars if they are already going to be this far behind the eight ball. There are a lot of things to consider. I'm not saying that you cannot reach that conclusion as a university president. You absolutely could. But when you look at all of these facts and figures, Indiana at $166 million, way ahead of every Pac-12 school except two, or future Pac-12, 10, whatever school, except two, and they were actually ahead of Oregon and Washington. So they were ahead a year ago. Indiana. Anybody worried about Indiana football taking the country by storm, being better than Pac-12 teams? Anybody worried about Virginia? Anybody worried about Kentucky? Anybody worried about Iowa and their inability to move the ball down the field? I am not saying that money does not matter, but money is recruiting. It does not automatically mean you can succeed. It just allows you to succeed at the highest possible level. I thought all that stuff was interesting. If you want to check out the revenues for yourself, Brett McMurphy threw them together, top 25. USC and UCLA weren't on there. I don't know if they didn't publish that information. They would be pretty high on this list uh, if they did because I cannot imagine that... Uh, I mean, may maybe I'm wrong. Uh, I mean, this, this is me speculating, but... Does USC really not uh, not have an athletic department revenue? Uh, or do, do they not bring in as much athletic revenue as Oregon or Washington? Like, 
really it's like it's it's usc they and they just might not have to disclose that sort of stuff because they're a private school but maybe i'm wrong maybe that maybe their revenue is you know 130 something million and you had to be at least 145 to get in the top 25 here but brett mcmurphy on, on twitter has got that uh tweeted out so that's where we close for today appreciate everyone listening i will see you next time and until then hope you have a wonderful rest of your day